What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy. I make music as Come Nightfall, and I want to welcome you to episode 49 of Behind the Daw, where we interview music producers, sound designers, artists, music industry experts, singers, songwriters, and basically everyone else in between on an emotional, philosophical, artistic, branding, marketing, and overall music business basis. This is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. Recently, we've had Kashmir, AU5, Kuro, Tynan, Culprit, Slumberjack, and a bunch of other and we are currently working on episodes with Pegboard Nerds, Delta Heavy, Biometrics, Nerco, Pixel Terror. So if you are interested in any of those episodes or just in the DAW in general, go ahead. There are links down in the description. You can also just go to YouTube and type in In the DAW. They're all on Multiplier's YouTube channel. But if you'd rather listen to them than watch them, no problem. All you have to do is check out the 0.5 episodes in this podcast. For example, the last episode was episode 48.5, and that is the Cashmere In the DAW episode. So you can just listen to it on the go if that works better for you. So who are we interviewing today? Today we're going to interview Joel Hunt, who's better known as Rogue, and this dude has a ton of credentials, so strap in for just a second. We got to get through him. He's a producer that's based out of the UK. And he's been around since the early, early days of dubstep remixes in like 2011. I guess I should say American dubstep remixes, even though he's from the UK. You know, you know what I'm saying. Anyways, the dude has like 20 plus releases on Monster Cat. His music has been featured on the popular video game Rocket League. He currently has over 250,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, as well as 70,000 followers on SoundCloud and 21,000 followers on Instagram. He's had collaborations with people like Stonebank, Laura Brem, who was on episode 24 of Behind the Daw, Slippy, who is scheduled to come on In the Daw, Tristam, Chris Bass, Danny Foster, and the list goes on. So what are you going to learn today, Daw Nation? Today, we're going to be talking about, is it okay to produce different genres underneath one brand? The age-old question, but we're going to talk about it. We're also going to talk about how to avoid fear-based decisions in making music as well as in life. And we're also going to talk about how to grow thick skin in an industry that will tear you apart if you'd let them. So Don Nation, we're going to get into all this and a ton more. But of course, first off, let's hear a word from our sponsor. Dawn Nation, imagine if you could learn extremely innovative sound design from a legend. Imagine five and a half hours of mind-blowing, in-depth videos explaining and exploring every detail on how to get the craziest sounds that no one else is making. Imagine being able to walk away with all the effects racks, instrument racks, and project files that are handcrafted by someone that has producer credits with Monster Cat, BT, Infected Mushroom, Virtual Riot, Elenium, Seven Lions, Ausla, and so many others. Now imagine all of that power being at your fingertips just a few minutes from now. Well, Daw Nation, what I just explained actually exists. The In The Daw team collaborated with AU5, the sound design legend himself, to create the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. Again, as I mentioned, it includes five and a half hours of videos illustrating the most innovative sound design techniques, plus all the instrument racks, effects racks, project files, and we even included a full walkthrough and breakdown of AU5's newest DP, Energize. But if you're just not quite sure it's what you want, then make sure to check out the free mini AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. This way you can get your feet wet and see the types of sounds that you could be making today. There are links in the description for both the full course and the mini course, or you can go to courses.inthedaw.net to get more information. Again, that is courses.inthedaw.net. But Daw Nation, let's get into this week's interview. I want 
welcome everyone to this week of Behind the Dot. We're honored, we're blessed, I don't know what we did right, to be able to have the chance to interview Rogue. Rogue, say what's up to Dot Nation and tell us something extremely embarrassing about yourself. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm a bit of an awkward person, so in social situations, I'm not the greatest. And I actually met my fiance online. So the first time I met her was like, we'd already been speaking for three months or so, flew over to America to meet her. And the first time I met her um, was at the airport and I sort of came out of the doors. I just froze and just sort of became super nervous and it started like sweating and stuff so this was a really embarrassing moment for me at the time but she was cool with it you know yeah sometimes social situations end up going south for me <laughs> did she try talking to you and you just kind of sat there and like stared at her was it like that kind of awkward <laughs> yeah like she was trying to hug me and stuff and i was like processing she was trying to hug you you didn't even hug her back man i don't know that's never happened to me before it was a bit of a weird experience i didn't think it was going to happen i knew that i was a bit awkward sometimes but i didn't think that was going to happen and i've really frozen it was so strange so that was her first impression of me in person but she still said yes in the end so well dude that was an embarrassing story and i cringed which means it was great and i'm grateful for that but really quick i do want to introduce my co-host for the day he's my assistant he's he's absolutely lovely a gift to humanity as i like to call him but here we have tevin donier how you doing today tevin i'm doing fantastic Fun fact, I have an embarrassing story. I've been calling him Tevin Donez for like the last, as, as long as I've known him. And that just sounds like the most hickish way to say it. Tevin Donez. Nonetheless, Tevin, would you like to start off with the first real question for Joel here? How did you come up with the name Rogue? Around 2011, I started having a mess around making dubstep. It was getting really big at the time. And I was already sort of producing music, not very well, releasing stuff on YouTube and not really having it go anywhere. I started up making dubstep and i wanted to release it but i didn't want to release it under my just my name joel hunt and i had been releasing music before as just my name so i thought i'd make an artist name and see how how i could do with that really the name the name didn't really come from anything meaningful other than just that i thought it sounded cool at the time (laughs) i feel like it reflects a little bit of my my journey since i started as well i just sort of been I feel like I've sort of been a bit separate from whatever's going on almost and, and sort of doing my own thing. And that's kind of what Rogue means. So, you know, what has been some of your your favorite highlights of what you've went through? Not necessarily accomplishments. It can be accomplishments, but more so things that you've went through. You're like, this is what has made the journey worth it. Numerous ones of those. And I was just getting to play this show that I played in Paris one time. I haven't played many shows as of yet. Never really seemed to get off the ground with it. I did play a few shows back in 2014, 15. I played the show in Paris to like 5,000, 6,000 people. And that was a moment for me. I was like, this is awesome. I was terrified the time I, I sort of went on stage to know that all those people that are there are looking at you and you're sort of playing out your own music and other music and everyone's sort of losing losing their minds to it. And that was a great feeling. And I, I was like, this is a moment for me that I'm going to remember. Yeah, another moment that I can just remember off the top of my head was um, a moment when I uh, released a song called Rattlesnake, maybe a few weeks after I released it. Knife Party had added it to their live set and were playing it out at their shows. And so I was getting all these videos from people saying, Knife Party played Rattlesnake at Miami. Crazy, because they're like one of my biggest inspirations. And I I got to see the Ultra Miami video Knife Party set drop my, my track in their set. And just to see Rob Swire sort of nodding his head to my song was just like, that was such a moment as well. I, I always like to see what's new coming out of you. You, you, you. you know, you can throw a dubstep track out and then next week you throw out a trap track or you can throw out a piece of paper based tracker. What I'm good at is taking, looking at a genre and saying to myself, what makes that 
what makes that genre tick, what's making that work, and then taking what I learn from it and then going into a door and trying to make that happen for something that I'm making instead. What's making the drums like work? Why is why do I want to bob my head to this? And it, and I'll go and try, and try and replicate it, but not replicate the song, but replicate that. What makes that genre work? This is this is an argument that I've heard, not an argument, but this is this is a point that I've heard from basically every every business person that we've had on the blog, the podcast has said something to the extent of there needs to be consistency with your music. There needs to, you know, you kind of have to not stick in the same lane, but stick within a similar lane. And like the business part of me completely utterly understands that, you know, on, the, on a branding standpoint, on a business standpoint, that completely makes sense. So let's say that, you know, we have producers listening that's like Tevin and that's like you, that is, you know, that they, they love so many different genres. They want to create so many different things. They feel drawn to, to create so many different things. How are they supposed to fulfill the business side, which is creating consistency as well as feeding their musical soul and and creating multiple different genres, so to say. I think uh, I have a few thoughts on that. Firstly, I think that if you want to mess around with di- different genres and stuff like that, brand it's the consistency is the brand, and and you have to make yourself the brand in that case. You, the style of music or the genre is not the brand for you. For some artists, their their style of music or what they've been pioneering in music is their brand, and their their the genre that they're big in is is sort of their business brand, and so they almost have to stay in that. And when they leave it, it's weird. But for other artists, the brand is the artist, and they can do what they want within the genre. And say for for instance, like. Um, Skrillex or Calvin Harris or Marshmallow, they are the brand, and then their music is sort of goes all over the place. And but then there's also this sort of natural when you make music, you just do it the way you do it, and that's that stays consistent almost without too much effort. This the chords that I choose for my tracks, I'm not doing intentionally, but people have told me that the sound is kind of similar throughout all of my, all of my tracks. The sort of chord choices and things like that that come naturally to me. The melody choices seem to be something that just stays consistent without me trying. Um, and I think that, that can be true for, for other people who want to try different genres and things like that. They'll always have their sort of the way they decide to make melodies and build tracks. That's a, a basic answer from me. What I got from that was that there's two different styles of the business route that you can go down, so to say. One of them is when you brand yourself with a certain type of genre or a certain type of sound. And then the other one is that you brand yourself where it's like you're creating a certain type of sound, but that sound is transcendent of genre. It can it can go from from place to place to place. It can go from any genre. Is that is that what you're saying? Essentially, yeah. I'm kind of I'm answering and thinking of the answer at the same time. I don't actually know, but this is just my thoughts initially. That listening to your question, I think that it's true that that there is a sort of if you brand, there's artists that brand the music, and I think they get somewhere quicker as well potentially because they've stayed consistent in one genre, and that's what they do. And you know what's coming and it's easier to latch onto. And then there's people who have sort of done the other route where they're the brand and it gives them a lot more freedom to explore different routes, but maybe it's more difficult to get somewhere with. Like kind of in relation to your own self-exploration and your own kind of determination of how you want to handle your own production and how you make music, things like that. There was a video you posted on your YouTube channel like about a year and a half ago. Uh, back in October of 2017, uh, it was the title of the video was "I Need to Say 
something. And it was it was a video where you you had kind of come out of the darkness, so to speak, because you were you had kind of been a little bit quiet for several months. You hadn't really released a lot of music, and and you really you you addressed your fans, and you were talking about how you had kind of been in a rut for a long time, and you were you was a lot of self doubt. And a lot of a lot of questioning where you wanted to go with your music. You know, is my music good enough? Is Monster Cat gonna like these things? And, and then you kind of came to the realization that you know you kind of gotta make music for you, and you gotta you, you know you know that people will like it or they won't like it, and you gotta find like the, the passion in it again. What brought you into music in the first place? And so you know how how did you kind of pull yourself out of those ruts? What keeps you going through those? Because you know life is cyclical. You're gonna you're gonna have slow points. You're gonna have points where you just don't feel like making music at all, or the music that you you make, you just think it sucks. So how do you how do you, in your opinion, help yourself climb out of those ruts and really get back into the mentality of making music for you and making music that you love? I feel like it's all sort of fear based, and the only the only thing that's sort that's ever really held me back is this fear of what people are thinking and what people are going to make of this. And I've really not been free. I've not let myself be free to just do what I want to do and release the music that I want to release. And I got myself in such a, a hole with that because I was like, well, what will people think of this? And what will people, is this good enough? And I was being really sort of critical. And I think uh, the best thing really is, is just to get something out. And, and that's what I say in that video. I think I can't remember. I haven't watched it for a while, but I, I think I, I say something along the lines of you just need to start putting out content. And I, I would say that to anyone who's sort of feeling like they're in a rut of sorts. It's just a matter of forcing yourself out of there and deciding that you don't really care too much about the criticism and things like that. Um, I let it get to me um, at the time. I, I was like, I was sort of paralyzed in a way and, and was not putting anything out and I wasn't sending any tracks to labels and I went quiet for a bit and luckily I, I sort of pulled myself together and got out of it but it is tough and being a creative it's the nature of being someone who's creative and doing it as a job is that you have to you have to face this anxiety around what people are going to think and I know many other artists who've gone through a similar thing it's a common thing and I think a few people like quite a few people resonated with what I said that, at that time as well I think pushing through is ultimately it's not the it's not the easy answer i guess but it's just it is the answer is deciding anyway that i'm going to sit down and i'm going to write or i'm going to create something and that something is going to be released that it's just deciding that and then making it happen and i think there's different ways as well of getting inspired and things like that if it's a creative block that you're experiencing like i've been to so many times oh my gosh it's the worst to just feel like I can't make anything right now. Why is that? <laughs> I find that watching interviews with artists that I admire and look up to helps. And looking at the music that my peers are releasing helps. Instead of getting jealous or, oh, that person's music is so good and I'm just not good enough, which is where you can sort of go. You've got to get past that and be like inspired by the people who are making music around you and how amazing it is. And like, so good. Champion other people. Um, one of the one of the big things that I did to get myself out of um, a creative block season recently was just I decided that I'm going to listen to everyone's music. I'm going to listen to the Monster Cat podcast. I'm going to listen to all the artists that are around me, and not get bogged down by it, but be lifted up by it, and and just say this is so good what these guys are doing. I want to be involved and take a 
like take on a positive attitude towards it and it seriously helps i wrote i did that and i i I listened to like four or five songs on spotify press pause produce a track in a day and then (laughs) it that's uh, that was a real unlocking tool for me it's taking on that positive mentality towards it other people's success is not my failure that's just a massive phrase that's that's been really big for me because i've struggled with thinking if so-and-so gets big and does really well that's some kind of detriment to me but it's not true and so realizing the truth is that these people are doing well around me these are my friends and my peers it's good that they're doing well i can take inspiration from them and so i've done that and it's really worked out for me the last year or so doing that yeah i want to swing back to what you were saying uh, a couple minutes ago which was you know you were so afraid you know like that people aren't going to listen to your music if you made this type of sound or these type of this type of music people aren't going to listen to you oh if you made this production decision would they like it so on and so forth so when I was taking the Art of Flow class at Icon Collective, we focused on this, 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 this concept, this like soul-wrenching concept of, you know, worrying so much about what people would do when, when they listen to our music, you know, because it's never comfortable when you show your song to someone or you get feedback on a song and it's like, this sucks. This is horrible. You have so much more potential than this. That's never comfortable. That sucks. But what they talked about was when we create music based on those decisions, It'll never be able to fully encapsulate, it'll never be able to fully translate our souls into audio, which is what we're doing when we're creating music, right? We're translating our souls into audio. And so when we make what's called fear-based decisions, it literally cuts that tie off between your soul and creating the music. And at that point, you can feel it. You can feel it go lifeless at that point. Like there's still a shell of a song there, but the the DNA, the soul, the, the core of it is disintegrated at that point. Is that kind of the the process that you went through? You kind of realized that you were making those fear-based decisions and and now you're like, no, 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 I can't do that. Yeah, and ultimately those things, those decisions and and things, they don't lead to anything anyway. Uh, I I feel like there's a real flaw in our logic when we're being governed by fear and and things to do with fear. Uh, Because we just, we think that somehow by not releasing stuff and by not making any music we're going to be better off but we're so not it's, it's this weird lapse in logic that happens and i guess i partly was like this is just not logical in any way it's partly more fearful for me because i live off my music and it's the way that i get by so there's all that anxiety surrounding it as well it's like if i don't get a track out i'm gonna fail like i'm gonna have less money and I'm going to not go anywhere and I'll be a failure and I've got this far and I won't be able to get any further and this all these things going around my head. And the, the truth is that the, the way for me to get in a good place is to keep making music and keep releasing it no matter what and just get it get stuff out there. It was a, a bit of a revelation for me and I guess, yeah, what you what you just said reflects with what, what I've, I felt at the time as well. Yeah. The more that I've talked to people and the more that like I've you know, studied my feelings and kind of like human human emotions and everything of that sort. What I kind of realized is that any uh, industry, any passion, any career, any anything like that, where we have fears about something, it's really just an extension of the basic needs that humans have. And here's what I mean by that is that, you know, you take this, for example, you take, you know, I'm afraid to make this type of music because if I make this type of music or make these types of decisions, then people won't like it. Okay, great. What if we keep going down that route, we're going to find a basic human need. Okay. Why? Why does that bug you? Why are you afraid that people won't like your music? Well, then I'll be rejected. Okay. 
why is being rejected bad? Well, if I'm not rejected, I, I, I don't feel loved. Okay, why is not being loved a bad thing? Okay, well then, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not being loved, I, I'm unlovable, I, I'm going to be alone, I'm going to be depressed, I'm going to have anxiety. Okay, and so why is that bad? Well, you see what I'm saying? You're, we're kind of just peeling back the onions here, and we're getting down to a basic human need, which the basic human need here is to be loved, to just be accepted, it's to have a tribe, it's to have a family, it's to have people that got your back, that love you, that are going to take care of you, right? And so we have this fear, this, this fear that if, if we make these certain decisions— you know, these certain musical decisions, we will be unlovable. We will be not of worth to people, which is asinine. Like that, like there would have to be so many things that would have to happen in order for that. To, I mean, could you imagine putting out a song and then all of humanity, anyone that you showed it to, not only didn't like it, but they were just like, you are a piece of crap. You are worse. You're the worst of humanity that we've ever had. You're worse than Charles Manson. You're worse than Ted Bundy. You're worse than Hitler. Wait, I can't even believe you are worthless to me. You know what I mean? Like that is, that is so far from like the, the possibilities of what can happen. But, you know, it seems ridiculous when we say it out loud, but these are, this is legit. This is actually, these are the feelings that people have. Yeah, totally. That is true that it, it really doesn't make sense when you start thinking about it a bit more. But a lot of people can't, uh, they don't know what they're feeling. And uh, I know that there's a lot of people who haven't quite managed to figure out how to read themselves. So they're feeling these feelings and, and they haven't got past the level where it's just like, I feel like I don't want to make music. It's making me feel sick. And and they don't know why and they don't know how to get past that level. And it, it's just about trying to figure out, okay, just get past that first level. What what's underneath there? What's underneath there? And ultimately, yeah, you have these these fears that are actually really they're so untrue. It's it's just lies that people people end up believing. Creative people are, are more susceptible to these things as well. I feel like it, we're we're a touchy feeling bunch of people we're sensitive people creative people um musicians so and that's why there's so many musicians and artists that are like depressed and and stuff we're, we're just more sensitive as a as a as a collective and and i guess that's what you need to be to be to write good music as well it's um is this weird circle but getting out of that loop of lies and and fear that you're going to be rejected and things like that is such a good thing to do because I've found from experience that people aren't that bad, you know, and people aren't don't hate you when you release something that's may, maybe not amazing, but you just sort of get it out and it feels good to release something. I remember tweeting that one time. It's just like, it feels good to just release something and I'm glad this is out. And I remember thinking this probably isn't my best work, but I've got the, I've got the tap running again. I'm going again and, and I'm making progress. I remember watching a, a bunch of Jordan Peterson videos and um, he was talking about, your worst enemy is is laziness and or something like uh, along those lines. He was talking about laziness and being stuck in this rut. And he's like, do 10%, uh, set a goal and do 10% of it. You've still made progress from where you were. And there's this mental battle that creative people who are in an industry, a creative industry, are going through constantly trying to figure out how to how to deal with these these feelings and and how to deal with the the sense of failure that just comes at you every so every so often yeah it's yeah. worth getting your mind around it and getting past yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of these uh, you know like we're, we're talking about you know we, we have these thoughts that are that when you like why when you say them out loud they sound crazy but but like they're legitimate thoughts that you have and you know they're mm-hmm. they're ir- they're irrational thoughts they're they're not things that 
you would, you know, if you try apply, apply, applying logic to it, it's not going to work because it, it's, these are irrational, emotional thoughts that are, are hard to get through. And, 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 you know, you're right that it, it's, it's a journey to kind of get through these, these ruts and get through these thoughts and, and it can be very hard and it's, it's hard to kind of find what works for you. You know, for some people, you know, maybe, maybe it works through to find inspiration. Like you, you, you finding interviews with other artists that inspire you being inspired by their success that can help you work through it. Some people, you know, perhaps therapy is a good thing or perhaps just talking to other artists about it or talking to their friends and family, but it's important to, to seek some kind of, to, to seek some kind of uh, help that, that gets you through that. Cause no, I think the, the common thing we all think is that we all have to do this kind of a thing alone that we, we yeah, have to, yeah. we have to do it just all us and our thoughts. And that's the worst place to be, honestly, is, is just to be alone with your thoughts in that kind of a mood. Like you definitely need to, seek outside uh, influence, whether that's going outside and, and exploring or, you know, researching stuff and finding content that inspires you or talking to someone about it, like no shame in whatever method helps you get through it, but finding Don't something. Exactly. Do not close off. Absolutely. And I, I want to swing back around really quick to you mentioned something, Joel, when you said that when you put something out, it's crazy because there will always be those people that, give you negative feedback or that are mean or that are, you know, that are vicious and are malicious, whatever you want to say, right? There will always be those people 100% of the time. But the vast majority of the people are either going to like it or they're just not going to say anything, right? Which is better than people being mean. But even the people, you know, this is crazy because it's so true. Once I say this, so you're going to be like, yes, yes, this is totally true. The people that are super mean, I mean, that are vicious, that, you know, comment on YouTube videos and, and on Facebook posts and Instagram posts and just roast you. They just rip you limb from limb. Those people, I don't think I've ever had a time when that has happened when there wasn't signs that those people were hurting. There's a, there's a phrase that I like to say, which is hurt people hurt people, right? People that are hurt will hurt other people. The, the crazy thing is that you got to r- realize is that there's these these two different avenues that that people can can say something to you and, and they could hurt you right one of them is is legit criticism hey what if you you know like uh, I think I feel like you should have done this differently or should have you know you should have done that that's that's great that's fantastic you know it may may be unwarranted maybe unsolicited but you know it's like hey you know at least at least it's you know at least it's criticism at least they're in their mind they're trying to help they're trying to you know okay try this it'll it'll be better next time whatever right but then there's the other people, which is just like, you suck. You're a terrible human being. You need to quit. You're the most annoying thing I've ever heard in my life. Those are hurt people trying to hurt people. Could, could, you, could we agree with that? I, I would agree. And, and those people, you know, they're quite rare. And we like, I find myself really fearing, like, being scared that when I release a track, you know, I go through the comments. Um, I still do that because honestly, I've realized that most of the comments are always so positive and it's very rare that there's someone that's that sort of sort of mean about it but yeah yeah i agree that that they're usually people who seem to be hurt themselves and that's a general rule in life i'd say as well people who are like that generally are are dealing with their own stuff you never know what people are going through and it's it's not worth taking on taking these things personally anyway i think it's also important to you know, especially as artists, accepting the fact that you can't please everyone. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you're going to have fans that love your music and you're going to have people that don't like your music. And it's, it's just kind of part of being an artist and part of putting your stuff out there is that the minute you put something out there, there's going to be a thousand people that love it and a thousand people that don't. You have to accept that, you know, that's okay. 
it's it's okay yeah. not to be loved by everyone, uh, but it's it's really because it's the best feeling in the world when you you see the people that do love your music organically. They just love it. They love you. They love your image. They love what you're going for. They love your your dreams and your hopes. And those are the people that are worth your time. And you shouldn't stress yourself with the idea. Oh, I you, like you said, scrolling through the comments, you love it because it's, it's mostly positive. And I think that is true. I think that people are inherently like good, but you know, it's important to like scroll when you're scrolling through the comments, so you're looking at feedback that, you know, you don't get turned off or shut down by that one person or those few people that are there just to make your day worse because you know, you don't know what they're going through. Maybe they have their own reasons for trying to lash out at you, but it's definitely not your fault. And it's also not your problem to try and fix them and make them like you. I've also been that that one of the, the one of the people that sort of give criticism to a, an artist that they love from and this was from before I was actually releasing music and had anyone listening to my music. I, I remember commenting on maybe like Muse or someone released release an album. They released an album that I was not really super pleased with. I was like, this is different from your old stuff. And I was that guy <laughs> that was like, <laughs> this is different from your old stuff. Like, why can't you be like your old stuff? Now, I so I totally understand why that's just not helpful. But I, I can now see from those pe- people's perspective, you've got to take these things as a compliment. These people have such a connection with the music that uh, they feel so much passion about it that they feel like they need to comment and, and express their sadness that it's not what they love, uh, that it's not the you that they, they recognize necessarily. That's the problem with changing genre is that people... I like, but I liked trap rogue. Oh, I liked melo- more melodic rogue, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm glad you like that old stuff. Like, it's, I'm really glad you do, and I'm so- I'm sorry that you're not too hot on this track, but maybe the next one because I do keep changing genre. So yeah, we've been talking a lot about your journey and, and advice that you would give to other people. Uh, you know, pulling yourself out of ruts and finding inspiration and things like that. Pulling into kind of a more general thing of, of, of advice that you would give to kind of up and coming producers. I know a lot of our listeners, they're definitely, they don't have large followings necessarily. You know, they're definitely trying to, trying to find their own, uh, their own niche or their own following, or, you know, they're definitely trying to put out music and produce music and get better and better. What's some like number one pieces of advice that you would give to some of our listeners and some of those up and coming producers that are like you from several years ago that they haven't really released a ton of stuff in their minds. They're they're not quite ready yet to to release. They don't quite have the professional level quality that that they are striving for. What's some advice we give to them? Really important part of is your attitude towards it and determination. I was watching the that new Coldplay documentary recently, and I and I was watching how Chris Martin, the leader of Coldplay, was like. Before they got big, he was like, Coldplay are going to be massive and this is going to be the next big thing and we're going to be headlining this festival, et cetera, et cetera. And then it happened. And it's like, there's something about declaring uh, these positive things over yourself. Uh, I remember that this is kind of what I was like. I remember uh, before I got any sort of success, I was saying to myself, like, my music's going to get me out of here and like, I'm going to like travel and, and see places and I'm going to meet people and, I'm, and people are going to like love my music. And I used to listen to my, my own sort of list of tracks that I've made over the last two months and listen to it as if I was listening to an album and I was just dreaming. And I think one of the best things you can do is just dream confidently. Don't, don't be afraid to dream and, and dream big and, and people who are 
who are aspiring producers and they're, they're making music and they love it, but it hasn't quite got out yet. It's just to sort of keep going and stay determined. I think there's a big, there's, there's something really important about being determined. That's mm-hmm. my first thought anyway. I, I, so I still say things to myself now. I'm not, I've not made it. I don't, in my own head, I've not made it. I've definitely had some success and I, I feel great about it. And I, I don't take it for granted, but I, there's more, there's more for me to do. And I always, I always love saying it. I'm not like rich or anything. I'm just sort of, I, I make, I make a living at the moment and I've, I've got a bit of success, but I'm always saying to myself, it's going to be bigger and I'm going to, I'm going to do this next year. And like, this is going to happen in five years time. It, it motivates me as well. When I say it, it's called the law of attraction. So it, it's, right. it, yeah, it, it's, I'm, I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with it and it, it's, I, I, I do think there's some power behind it of just, you surround yourself with positive thoughts and you, you surround yourself with, you know, things that you want to achieve and then they, they will naturally happen because you just don't get out of that mindset. So I really appreciate yeah, your you, answer. You keep making decisions that are based on your idea of where the future's going. You start to subliminally or subconsciously make certain decisions that you you don't think would make have such an impact in the future, but maybe they do. And it's just the way that you start living your life is different and the way you start producing is different and it, it leads into everything else. I think there's power in our words and what we say. What we say has power and, and reflects in, in our reality and, and has great power in what we do. Yeah, man. Rogue, this has been an absolutely fantastic interview and we appreciate you coming on, being open and, and talking about these things that maybe aren't comfortable to talk about, but did you have a good time, man? Yeah, guys, thanks so much. I feel like I've been through a bit of a therapy session tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've uh, been saying some good, I know, good truths that I need to hear myself as well. <laughs> Yeah, and I hope you know. I hope this your show goes somewhere, and this this whole behind the door and things like that. It's really good stuff, and I think there's an audience for it. So keep going, keep it up. Hey, Daw Nation! Hope you enjoyed episode 49 of Behind the Daw with Rogue. If you are interested in the Patreon, private lessons, or suggesting guests to come on the show, make sure to click the link in the descriptions. Again, make sure to like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow—you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Deezer, YouTube, wherever you're at. Doesn't matter. It just helps us know that we're moving in the direction that you need us to, Daw Nation. And finally, I'd highly encourage you to check out the last episode of Behind the Daw. That one was with. Harrison Bennett, who is the label manager of Zed's Dead's label, Deadbeats. We talk about how to find Spotify playlist curators and how to reach out to them. We also talk about how to have a plan B when a song release doesn't go as planned and what Harrison would do if Zed's Dead were brand new into the scene in 2019. So Daw Nation, make sure to go check that out. And before you go, let's hear our final word from our sponsor. Daw Nation, in this episode, you've heard me talk so much about the AU5 Ableton Sound Design course. Again, I would highly encourage you to check it out or at least check out the free course. I know that it can help you. And the reason why is because we have already had almost 500 people sign up for the course within the first week. And I have heard nothing but positive feedback. But Don Nation, I want to talk to you about a different course that we're going to be launching. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you picked up the Ableton Live 10 manual and read the entire thing? In fact, when was the last time that you've even seen the Ableton Live 10 manual? There are two cold hard facts about the Ableton manual. Number one, it is incredibly insightful on how to use Ableton to its max potential. And number two, it is amazingly boring to read. And it's not even Ableton's fault. That's just the nature of manuals, which is why I am extremely proud to announce that our next course is going to be the Daddy Ableton Manual course. Now, you know Daddy. He's been on In the Dawn, Behind the Dawn multiple times, bringing the jokes, making you laugh, while still bringing the max amount of information and inspiration. So in this course, he's going to go through every single little 
thing of the Ableton Live 10 manual and explain it in a hilarious, engaging, and memorable way. Now, Dot Nation, listen very carefully. We just opened up the pre-orders for this course. And if you hop on the pre-order right now, you will save $100 on this course. The original price of the course is going to be $250. But if you click the link in the description, then the price is only $150. One of the pre-order bonuses is that if you pre-order before June 1st, 2019, Daddy and I will personally FaceTime you to meet you and to say thank you. And the second bonus for pre-ordering the course is that you will be brought to a page where you can tell us what you want to see as bonuses when the full course releases. That's right. You get to decide what the actual bonuses are for the full course. I mean, just imagine it. You get to learn everything there is to know about Ableton Live 10 while being wildly entertained for only $150. That's $30 less than Serum. That's a tenth of the price of Native Instruments Complete Ultimate. That's a third of the price of Omnisphere. That's a tenth of the price of a Moog synthesizer. That's a fifth of the price of the Ableton Push 2. And you get the picture. Again, there is a link in the description for the pre-order where you will get $100 off the original price or you can go to inthedaw.net slash live10 to sign up. Again, that is inthedaw.net slash live10. The Daw Nation, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Behind the Daw and make sure to check back here next week for our next episode.